Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Okay. The Gospel of John, we're talking about the call of a real Christ follower. Have you ever had one of those conversations where you keep getting interrupted and you have to stop and, and it comes back? A lot of times that happens at a restaurant, you know, the waitress or the waiter will come up and breaks the conversation. And sometimes the conversation is like, well, forget it, that story wasn't going anywhere anyway. You just change the subject and keep moving. But sometimes it's so important, you've got to return and you've got to finish what you started, Right? Well, that's what happened to me last Sunday in the sermon, and I'm going to finish what I started today. I'm actually glad for the relay because I've had some time to, to reconsider what I was saying and expand it a little bit. I'll share that with you in just a moment. But, but I, I'm excited about this passage and about this sermon because uh, what I believe that, that God is wanting to do in our church life through it. Now, I'm warning you, the first service, they listened so slowly. It took forever for me to explain it to them. And I'm so sorry. And if you're not akin to my sense of humor, what you just heard was a shameless self-justification of dodging personal responsibility. So let's get in, John, and let's get this done, okay? The call of a real Christ follower. We see that John begins his account with this great hymn of exaltation of Christ. And then in verse 19 through verse 51, he begins to walk through the early days of Jesus' ministry, beginning with John the Baptist, but also carrying it out into the first calling of those first disciples by Jesus. And that's where we've picked this up. And here's the big idea that we're still tracking on today. It's simply this, that the call of, a, the call of Christ leads people to become his followers that make more followers. The call of Christ leads his people to become his followers that make more Christ followers. And last week, I began by sharing with you the first two of three essentials. And so I want to finish today with the last two essentials of four. All right, good. You saw how I did that, right? That thing. I went back and was restudying, and I thought, you know, three can either be A and B, or it can just be three and four. Let's keep it simple and move on. So as an act of repentance, there's actually four essentials, not just three, that I need to cover. Let me remind you briefly of the first two. The first essential was this, that the call of a real Christ follower begins with a faithful Jesus-centered testimony. And that's what we saw with John the Baptist, with his life and with his ministry, and the whole purpose of why God was using him. He pointed people to the Christ of God, to Jesus. And he said this, that I didn't know this man was the Christ. He knew Jesus, he just didn't know he was the Christ. And he said, but the one who's called me, the one who put this call in me, that internal unction that I talked about last week, has told me that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he began to point people to Jesus Christ. And we saw last week that, that in so doing, it cost him some of his own disciples. 
And that was a good thing. But, but we see this, that Christ followers are called by God to live for his kingdom purpose as we see illustrated and exemplified in the life of John the Baptist. But we understand that when we live as Christ followers, Jesus streams his call from heaven above through our lives so that others might hear a faithful Jesus-centered testimony. And that's the first essential of understanding the call of a real Christ follower. The second essential is this, is that the call of a real Christ follower culminates in a discovery that leads to life change. And we really saw this in verses 38 and 39 with Andrew and his brother Simon, who were John the Baptist's disciples. And when John testified that Jesus is the Christ, they no longer followed John the Baptist, but they went and followed Jesus. And we see this conversation where Jesus says to them, what are you seeking? Why are you following me? And it's a question in which he's discerning what it is they're wanting from Jesus. But it's a question that every person must confront themselves with when they're faced with the reality of who Jesus is. What are you seeking? We've made Jesus so many other things than the Christ because it's so accommodating to our life. Instead of exalting him as the Christ, as the scripture reveals that he is, and accommodating our life to him instead of him to our life. And so Jesus' question is one that every person must answer. What am I seeking? Because we said this, following Jesus demands complete worship and absolute lordship. Complete worship and absolute Lordship. You see, God made a way in Jesus on the cross that we might no longer be separated by him, but be reconciled to him in salvation. And that's what salvation is. God has come and done for us, not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. But so often when it comes to discipleship, we try to separate discipleship from salvation. Well, I'll let him save me, but keep your hands off of me otherwise, right? But salvation and discipleship are not two separate entities whereby a Christian can decide and pick and choose which one they want to follow. They're one and the same. And the Jesus that saves is the Jesus that sanctifies. The gospel that declares the good news of this Savior is the same gospel that continually sanctifies us more and more from glory to glory into His image. And we see where Jesus himself taught on the high cost of following him. When in Luke chapter 14, he, he, he commends every person who would dare to follow him. Count the cost. We talked about last week that salvation is free. But following Jesus will cost you everything. Because discipleship sanctifies the one that's been justified in salvation. And so we see the second essential that the call of a real Christ follower culminates in a discovery for us to believe that leads to a complete life change in following Him. Well, those are the first two essentials. And today I want to bring us at verse 40 to the third essential. And I'll give that to you and then I want us to look at the scripture and read these three verses together before we continue. The third essential is this, that the call of a real Christ follower catalyzes one to faithful witness that makes more Christ followers. Look at verse 40 in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John with me. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Christ, or excuse me, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is where I want us to see this third essential of the call of a real Christ follower today. Have you ever seen the video, which I believe most of us probably have, one of the first YouTube videos that really defined what it means to go viral? But the video of what happens when Diet Coke is mixed with menthos. I can't tell you how badly I wanted to produce that experiment right here this morning. And yet I knew that would be a mess that would not be able to be cleaned up. So the imagery will have to suffice. It's explosive. If you've never seen it, you really need to see it. It just blows its top explosive. And what I am proposing to you in this third essential is simply this, that when Jesus calls a person in salvation to follow him, it catalyzes within that person who believes to become for him a faithful witness in the world. Catalyst, you see, is anything that precipitates a change, that produces a dynamic result, if you will. And a Jesus-centered testimony culminates in life change that that catalyzes something supernatural within, a a faithful testimony of the risen Christ. I, I present to you what Andrew said to his brother Simon when he went and found him. He met Jesus and he went and found Simon. And here's what he said to him in verse 41. We have found the Messiah. In other words, we have found the Christ. Notice first of all what Andrew did not say. He did not say to Simon, did you hear what John said? John found the Messiah. But rather, what did he say? We found the Messiah. You see, the catalytic moment in Christianity is not when you can recite what somebody has regurgitated to you, but when someone within you, the living Lord Jesus Christ himself, catalyzes in you for it to become a faithful, personal witness of his work in You You see, a real Christ follower, friends, always becomes a faithful witness to bring others to Jesus. A real Christ follower always, always, that's a critical word, becomes a faithful witness to bring others to Jesus. If you read the scriptures, specifically the Great Commissions, you will understand that our principal responsibility in this world is to be but one thing in all things, and that is a faithful witness. Now, each of us will do that differently. There's no doubt. But contrary to what so many propose today, words are required because it is good news that we share. And surely a life is essential. You see, I want you to see that the reason Andrew became a faithful witness was not because, well, he was Andrew. I mean, he was one of the first disciples. 
He evidently had some kind of charisma that Jesus saw and knew he could use. He had some kind of personal ability. He had some kind of personality. He had some kind of gifting. He had some kind of education. He had some kind of intellect or some other personal characteristic that we are so quick to assign onto other people so that we can remove our own personal responsibility. And it doesn't say that Andrew had any of that. It just simply says, I found the Christ. It's a personal experience with God in Jesus Christ. Andrew's testimony is what catalyzed his his witness that we have found the Messiah. His witness centered in Jesus, not in just the experience itself or what Jesus could do for him, but in the person that Jesus was to him. You see, friends, Jesus is not just a better plan for your life, which has become one of the defining parameters of modern Christianity in our culture today. Jesus is not just the improvement to add to or the accessory to attach on or the gift giver that is given for your life. He's not just the right mantra that you hang over your door to proverbially slap on your way out for a successful day each and every day. And Jesus is not just your good luck charm. He's not just your good vibe that you need to be putting off. He's not even a better karma or any other religious ideology by which if you adhere to, your life will improve. Jesus is life, John says, and that life became the light of men. When you put your faith in Jesus, life comes into you where there was only death before. And that's why Jesus is the Christ of God. Don't get that wrong. Because what you believe about Jesus determines everything about what you understand about what God has done for you in salvation. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ of the living God who is life. That's why John, the writer of this gospel, has told us this. And now he is is showing us, he's demonstrating the the, the change, the difference, the, the, the catalyst that Jesus makes in a life when he comes in and brings his life into. He is the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said. He is the great I am that has always been, is, and forevermore shall be. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient and he is omnipresent at all times. These are incomprehensible by us, but by faith we can anchor our lives that Jesus is the Christ. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He's the great shepherd. He's the living water. And John will continue just to unfurl one after the other after the other of who this man is as the great I am. But the question that he puts in front of us to begin with is this. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Who do you understand Jesus to be? You see, Jesus is the Christ who catalyzes his followers to become a faithful witness. Let me tell you a story that maybe helps you understand how Jesus, as our catalyst, works in us to work through us. 
to work all around us. Have you ever heard of a man by the name of Edward Kimball? Let me make sure I got that right. Yes, Edward Kimball. No, you've never heard of him, have you? Unless you've heard this illustration used before. Edward Kimball lived before all of us lived. Long time ago. And he taught young men in Sunday school every week. And I'm going to tell you what. There's nothing that can be more depressing and, and bring up greater questions of life than teaching young men in Sunday school. Ask my Sunday school teachers. Edward Kimball one day, as he faithfully did every week, was praying for those young men in his Sunday school class. And one day God put on his heart one specific young man in that Sunday school class. And God told him, he said, you need to go make sure that this young man understands my love for him. And he just, he was like, God, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm not an evangelist, you know. And he said, I know. I want you to go. And I just want you to tell him how much I love him. And he did. He knew that this young boy worked in his father's shoe shop. And so he went down to the city street where this young boy worked and said he became so nervous and fluttery with butterflies in his stomach that he almost walked right past and just kept walking but instead he turned and he walked in and he said he walked through the store, didn't see anybody, just tunnel vision, was headed to the back stock room where this young man worked for his father. And when he got back there, it just kind of blew up. And he said, I just want you to know I'm here today because God told me to come here today and tell you that he loves you and, and you need to know how much he loves you. And, and because he loves you, he sent Jesus to die for your sins. And, you know, he just kind of blurted something out. And in that moment, when he finished, it, things just fell silent. And that little boy became white as a sheet. And in that moment, he said, thank you. He said, I, I didn't know if God could love me. I sit and I hear you tell it every week in Sunday school, but I've always wondered, could God love me? And on that day, Edward Kimball led that young boy to Christ and to faith in Christ and to become a Christian. That little boy's name was Dwight L. Moody. Who's become one of the most famous theologians and evangelists in America? He became famous as an evangelist on two continents, preaching the gospel to thousands and thousands of people. And one of the people who heard him preach the gospel in one of those meetings and placed their faith in Jesus and repented of their sins was a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman. And under his preaching, he became convicted of his sin, received Christ, and wanted to become his own evangelist. And so Wilbur Chapman started his own evangelism ministry. And a few years in, he was at one of his evangelism meetings. And he was preaching the gospel. And he was in a city where there was a professional baseball team. And one of the professional baseball team members came to a meeting two or three nights in a row. And on that last night, that professional baseball team member made a profession of faith and and got saved and that uh, uh, just a few months later he left professional baseball and began his own evangelistic ministry his name was Billy Sunday very famous preacher and if you know anything about Billy Sunday you know he was most famous for preaching other preacher sermons and when asked, Billy, why do you keep preaching everybody else's sermon he says because when I preach them God uses them You can still find some old videos of Billy Sunday. 
he like would get up on the desk on stage and was very animated, but had a very powerful uh, evangelism ministry. And at one of his meetings, when he was preaching the gospel, uh, intellectual is mostly how he's defined, as known as Mordecai Ham, came to faith in Christ under the preaching ministry of Billy Sunday. And God stirred his heart to start his own evangelism ministry. And so Mordecai Ham in the late or early 1900s uh, started his own evangelism ministry and was traveling the country preaching in these meetings. And he got into North Carolina one night and, and was centering closer to the high schools because he really wanted to reach the younger generation. And he had heard about this one specific high school where it, it was close to where his evangelism meeting was going to be, but there were boys who were leaving the high school at lunch and crossing over the street to go visit the brothel at lunchtime. And so he was convinced that he was going to expose these young men for that and to call them to stop doing that. And so these young men got wind of it and they decided they would go as a group to the evangelism meeting and they would just raise all kind of cane to disrupt the meeting. And so it would just, uh, um, you know, uh, whatever you do, you know, fluff, uh, distract, whatever. I can't think of the word right now. And that's what they did. But one of those young boys, Billy Frank, heard the gospel that night and, and it really intrigued him. And so young Billy Frank decided he'd come back the next night, but he'd come by himself this time. And he came by himself and at the end of the service he, he prayed to receive Christ and become a Christian. Now most of you know Billy Frank by his name that was later changed to Billy Graham who's preached to over 2.2 billion people, has counseled 10 presidents, and is about, I think he's 95 or 96 years old today. But that's a name that is so common to us. Do any of you remember the first name I mentioned to you? Probably very few. You see, God may not be calling you to preach on every continent, of the globe. He may not use you to preach to more people than anyone has ever preached to before, but you may be the match that lights the next great awakening and the next great revival of God's people on this earth. You don't know, friends. It's not for us to know. It's just for us to go into the shop and go to the back room where they're working. And to tell them how much God loves them. I don't know what your shop will be called tomorrow. But I pray that God would light a fire in us. That wherever he finds us. As he wills he would use us. To bear a faithful testimony. Because of what he's done in us. You see Jesus becomes a catalyst to produce dynamic results. And you go, oh, but look at that. That is certain people who can be used because of their gifting, their ability. No, 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 friends. There's not one ounce of, of information that leads us to believe that. There is nothing about Simon that said Jesus should have chosen him to preach on Pentecost. 
accept what Jesus did in his life to redefine his life that he might use him for his purpose. You see, the gospel through a faithful, Jesus-centered testimony catalyzes a real Christ follower to go and to share Jesus with others that more Christ followers might be made. Friends, might I tell you something that's burdened on my heart for our church? I don't think it's explicitly or only, let me say this, only true about our church, but I can't say that it's non-existent in our church. But these are things that are true about the larger church in North America today. There's three massive problems that have been created in the church because of a failure simply to share our faithful testimony of Jesus. You see, first of all, when we fail to share a faithful Jesus-centered testimony, we lack courage to obey and follow Him in our own life. In other words, it has direct personal results. And sharing your faith in the way that God has, has wired you to do, you know, gifted you and, and, and the people He's put you with and where He's put you and the way He leads you to share is so critical, first and foremost, for you because it gives us courage to obey and to follow. And when we fail to share in a regular way, just as a regular part of our conversation, what happens is we begin to look for spiritual substitutes and to experience spiritual atrophy because when Jesus is working in us, a conversation comes up or a relationship or a situation and the spirit of God that lives within us goes you know we could speak Christ right into this in this way and we we refuse to and we find no there will be a better time or we make an exception or we make an excuse what happens is we are spiritually atrophying slowly within but what 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 we need to understand is that Humility grows within us as we come to Christ and as we seek to follow Him. But courage only grows within us when we obey Jesus to go and to share who He is. I want to demonstrate this for you in the book of Acts and just show you two very simple illustrations of this. Acts chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. Just listen with me if I can find where... Here it is, right here. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 31 it says this and now lord because what's just happened is the disciples just stood in front of the council who was questioning them on why would you say this why would you keep preaching these things when we've told you not to this was their prayer now lord look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant jesus and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. When they shared a faithful Jesus-centered testimony, their lives were filled with courage to do what he had called them to do. And then in chapter 5, I want to read that for us as well. Verse 40 to 42 says this, And when they had called in the apostles, this again is the council of the religious leaders and the government leaders, they called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, remember, bloody, bruised, and beaten. That's how they left the council because they had just been beaten. And what does it say? And they left the council, and I've lost my place, 
There it is, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now, I can't convince you if you don't want to believe this. But I will tell you this. That courage to obey what God calls you to do will come directly from you bearing the faithful witness when He leads you, where He leads you, and with whom He leads you to share it with. Friends, your pleasure, your joy, and your peace in Christ is never dependent upon the world's receptivity. It's just dependent upon your faithfulness to share Christ. The second big problem that's arisen for the church, we've already seen it. Really, the second and the third. When we fail to share the gospel, the community and the church weakens. You see, when the gospel is not growing in each Christ follower, each Christ follower, it can only weaken in our community. Because as we are spurring one another on, as we are encouraging one another until the day approaches, all of these phrases with which Paul exhorts us to speak the truth in love, to share the gospel with one another in order to encourage and to build one another up, if we are not doing that, we will not be building one another up. And if we're not living in the truth of the gospel in relationship with Jesus Christ, why would we ever dare to think someone else would be better for living in the gospel? Let me, let me put it in the lingo of an old hymn. If I'm not leaning on the everlasting arms, why would I dare recommend that you prop your own life up with them? No, friends, when a faithful Jesus-centered testimony resonates from us. It strengthens in us and it increases among us. The third problem that we're seeing in the church today uh, overall is, is that when we fail to share, we become ignorant of biblical and gospel truth. See, we don't believe this, but it's true. As a matter of fact, there's being more written on biblical illiteracy today than maybe any other time because so many are seeing this trend in the church and our failure to share leads to a failure to understand the Bible. Biblical wisdom. It's rampant. I mean, it's all too common that Christians either don't know what they believe about something. They don't know why they believe what they claim they believe. They've never learned how to read the Bible for themselves, to study the Word, to meditate upon the Word in order to understand what it's saying about something. Or fourth, and maybe most depressingly of all, is they, they're apathetic towards the Word of God. It's just some other book, but it looks good on the coffee table. Or with some people coming over, maybe we need to hide it on the bookshelf so they don't see it. Christianity Today published an article just last month about a survey that was done among 3,000 adults by two leading Christian organizations today. And they asked 3,000 adults 47 statements and they just simply said, do you agree or disagree with this statement? And these are basic Christian theology, but listen to these responses. 65% of the adults surveyed believe that God is perfect. In other words, 35% believe that He's not. As a matter of fact, 25% that responded actually said He's absolutely not perfect. 82% of the adults surveyed believe that people have the ability to turn to God on their own initiative. 
That's American Christianity right there. That we can pull our boots up by the straps. We can tighten our belt. And by golly, we can make this thing work. That's not biblical Christianity, friends. It's either all God or it's not God at all. Listen to this. 74% believe that individuals must contribute to their own salvation. Three-fourths of people believe that they have to do something or in some way contribute so they can be saved. 56% of the adults surveyed believe that the Holy Spirit is just a force, not a personal being. I have no idea where they got that idea. Some of you will get that later. Oh, Obi-Wan. And that's how we allow the things of this world to cloak us so that we redefine the things that are by what they say instead of defining the world by what God has said. 54% believe that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 48% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. God accepts them all. Whatever. 39% believe that my good deeds help to earn my place in heaven. I'm going to give you a clue. None of these are right. But the extent to which you would go, hey, I don't, that could be, yeah, proves what I'm saying, friends. And I'm not pointing these things out to condemn anyone today, but to sound a warning that we've conceived of a God that helps us more than we've converted to a Christ that saves us. And we should be fearful. Of where that path leads us. Listen friends. Have you believed in Jesus. Such that it moves you to a faithful witness. Has it produced anything in you. Not to become Billy Graham. Or Mordecai Ham. Or even uh, 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 any of the other famous people. That we can conjure up. But just to live as you are. Where you are. In the moment you are. For how God has called you. That's what I'm aiming at here. Are you struggling to believe and to obey Jesus. In a specific area of your life. So often Satan will bring up those temptations. And he will us and here's the rationale that we'll use when I get this under wraps and under control then I will go and live faithfully for Jesus where he puts me what I'm telling you is you'll never get there until first you start to bear that faithful witness that he wants you to be that's where your courage comes from I want to ask you this who could you share Jesus with this week Because if the gospel is worth it for you, why wouldn't it be worth it for that person that Jesus leads you to? Hear me, friends. Until we share what we know of Jesus, we will always remain shallow in what we believe about Jesus. The fourth essential. 
we see this narrative continue in verse 43 to the end with Philip and Nathaniel. And we see this fourth essential that not only does Jesus catalyze his Christ followers to, to a faithful witness, but hear me, he conceives a vision to see greater things for God's kingdom glory. Here's what happens. He goes to Philip, and Philip believes that Jesus is the Christ. And Philip goes to Nathanael, and immediately Nathanael says, what in the world could anything good come out of Nazareth? You know? And, and he doesn't believe what he's seeing. He dismisses Jesus because he's from Nazareth. But when Jesus came to him and said, Nathaniel, I saw you under that fig tree before you met me. Nathaniel, like, he realized all in that moment that Jesus knew more about him than he knew about himself. And that's what happens when we come to faith in Jesus, friends. We realize that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And there's this moment of, of just awe-inspiring uh, uh, insight. And, and you see, the most amazing experience of God's grace when we meet Jesus is when we find out that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And yet, he still loves us. He still loves us. You see, Jesus promised Nathaniel this, that you'll see greater works. What Jesus was saying is that he wants his followers not to be sideline sitters, but to be seers of the kingdom of God in the world. He wants to show us that we might see what he wills to take place in this world. He said, you believe, Nathaniel, because I told you something that you knew to be true about yourself, but I'm putting in you, I'm conceiving in you a vision not just to believe what I can compel you to about yourself, but to believe about the whole world what I want to do through the gospel. And that's what Jesus does to each of us. He gives us a vision to be seers of kingdom glory. You see, we all hold a perspective not unlike Nathaniel. And that perspective is based on our own understanding or intellect. It's based on the environment in which we were raised. It's based or, or the environment in which we live. It's based on the education level and how we've learned things and incorporated them into our life. It's based on our experiences and where we felt pain and where we felt joy. And it's based on our relationships. And so this perspective that we've developed because of who we are in this life, it begins to birth in us and then build around us presuppositions. And usually those presuppositions are things that protect our lives. They're conclusions that we've reached about things, about experiences, about people upon which we build our life. And then we draw those conclusions and that's what guides our thinking and our feeling and our attitudes and our actions. And that's why Nathaniel concluded, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I've been there. I've met those people. They're not good people. That's why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He hated them. And that's why you and I dismiss things that we feel no even tinge of conscience about because we've held a perspective that led to presuppositions that brought convictions. But here's what takes place. He says this, 
we have found the Messiah. And when you find the Messiah, you understand that Jesus didn't just come in the flesh to change your life, but he came to redeem all things. Jesus said, Nathaniel, you're going to see things that are going to blow your mind because of the gospel, that are going to blow your mind because I am God. And I want you to see those things even before they take place. I want you to see what God's doing in the world. I want you to see how God's redeeming lives. I want you to see that and I want you to believe because I'm calling you to walk into it before it is. And when you share that faithful witness that Jesus is the Christ, God will bring that reality from the things that he's shown to us. He's conceiving in his followers a vision that we might get outside of our presuppositions, of our perspectives, and of our conclusions, and that we might dare to believe, dare to believe in a world that looks terminal at best by the first week of November. That there's a new horizon and the sun will break if it be God's will. And the gospel will be the point of the plow that ushers in hope for every person who believes in Jesus. Lift up your eyes, Christ follower, and see where your help comes from. It is the Christ that we have found. This is God come to us to save. Have you bore a faithful witness of him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've made no bones about your intention and your will for your people. you have explicitly revealed your will and your ways for your mission in this world. And then you have said you are redeeming a people for that mission. Your plan, Lord Jesus, is to carry out your purposes in this world through your people, many of whom are sitting in the room right now. And Father, I pray first of all, that by your spirit you would guard us from condemnation and shame of what we haven't done in the past. And you'd bring us to this point right here. You would affirm to us that you've seen every moment of our life. You've measured every breath that we've taken, every blink that we've made. And you love us still with a love that is unending and everlasting. But what you are calling us to in this moment is to produce something, to catalyze something in us and to conceive something in us that you want to do through us in this world. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in the life of every Christian here today. 